Hey, dear listeners, today's guest is actor, comedian, writer, director, producer, and podcaster Paul Shear. You might know him from The League, Veep, The Hot Wives of Orlando, Human Giant, NTSF, SDSUV, and Showtime's Black Monday. I just adore Paul, and after you hear the episode, I think you will too. Please keep listening after the interview to hear about some exciting changes coming to Unqualified. And here's Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Hey, what's going on? Hi! Oh, Paul. I was thinking while I was showering. I'm appreciative that you are showering this early just for people to know. Like, we're recording this, you know, at 11. For me, I put on gym clothes at the beginning of the day in the hopes that I will get to some place where I will work out during the day. And then I take my shower. Like last night I took a shower at 11 o'clock at night because it took me that long to get to the gym. <laughs> the gym. Just to to do some working out. That's all. I was thinking about your character on Black Monday. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that you're having some deep reflections about my character on Black Monday. Well, I'll take it. Well, I was, I was thinking about a tough job for me in Hollywood would be to get cast on a medical procedural. Well, you don't have to be smart for that. You just have to have a lot of memorization. Yeah, because I worked with Kate Mulgrew on the show I did, NTSF SDSUV. When I talked to Kate, it was like, because Kate was a Star Trek captain, and Star Trek captain and a medical doctor are the same. It's like, put the phasers on, you know, we're in the gamma quadrant and we need to put on the, you know. We got to do the thing. Yeah, because it doesn't mean anything. Like, I mean, yes, the medical jargon does mean something, but- to an actor, you are not becoming a doctor. You're just memorizing the thing, and that's it. You're going to move on the next day. Like, when you're a Star Trek captain, you have to memorize this stupid thing about the torpedoes, and you say it, and you go. But I think that it requires such a level of work that doesn't make acting fun. Yeah. Right? Because I talked to Charlene Yee, who was on House, and she was like, all I had to do is memorize jargon. It's not acting. It's jargon. And... I mean, is that fun? Do you want to do that? Do you want to you want to be on a medical show just, you know, asking about scalpels and, you know, incision lines and all that sort of stuff? I don't know. Do you want to do that? We just finished Westworld season three, which okay. was torturous. I don't know if you've seen it. I watched the first two seasons. I didn't feel like I was emotionally ready in quarantine to really jump into that show in the third season. I, I, I That show is... Um, it's mumbo jumbo. Notes. Like nobody's yeah. business. I think like episode three, season one, I started to wonder if the writers kind of lost the plot. Right. I don't know. The only other explanation is uh, is that I'm just not that smart. So I'm choosing to believe that it's the writers. <laughs> Why do we need shows that make you feel dumb? Yes. Or make you feel like you have to do extra research? Like I've never equated a show being like, oh. You know, after I read those four wiki articles, I really love the show. It's like, no, the shows that I love are the shows that I'm in, like Better Call Saul, I think is one of the best dramas on TV. It's so well done. I'm never confused by the world, by the relationships, by the character. 
And I feel like I leave incredibly fulfilled. Insecure, I think, is it a brilliant show. I'm not like, oh, we need to uh, read some more backstory on this or understand the theory that's going on. It's like, no, like, I think a good show, a good movie, even Christopher Nolan, who makes very complex movies, you get them. I think when you're confused, that's not a good sign. Like, that is not, that's not like, oh, the writers are so smart. It's like, no, no, no. Like, there's a difference between a textbook and a TV show, and they should, they both should exist in their own spot. It's like that one asshole teacher that clearly is, like, going through a divorce. (laughs) Paul, I wanted to ask you, what's your feeling about improv? I feel like I'm always so reticent of, like, improv on screen because I feel like that's such a personal experience. Yeah. I used to do it on the podcast because I never get a chance anywhere else. Can you sing, by the way? Because if you can sing, I need you to go on this improv podcast where they improvise a full musical. I think you would be amazing on it. Can I poison you right now? Okay. I'm going to go back to like 1994, I believe. Maybe, Maybe earlier. I don't know. But this is something when I'm feeling a little irked with mm-hmm. a contemporary of mine, I like mm-hmm. to go, I don't want to wait for our lives to be over. I want to know right now, what could it be? Oh, such a, yeah. By the way, you killed it there. That was pretty Thank great. Thank you. But have I poisoned you? You've not poisoned me. I, I think you have a lovely voice. That actually was great. It, I used to do a bit on stage where I would put on an insane mask and seductively dance to that song. No! Like, I would just play that on stage and then and just dance. The song that haunts. I mean, it's a beautiful song. I mean, look, it's, it's the theme song of our lives. Can you tell our listeners what it's from? It was Dawson's Creek, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know, one yeah, of those, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, Were you ever on any of those, like, teen sitcoms? No, you just went right to being a giant movie star, <laughs> right? Like, that was it. That's the only way I fly. <laughs> Right to the top of spoof. That's it. No, no stops. Just take me to the penthouse, baby. <laughs> but I want to say one thing to you, and not to derail this at all, because it is going great. The, the thing I want to say is, like, I don't think that people realize how the comedy talent of you and Regina, both of you, I think, are so incredibly funny. And, like, I re- recently watched the first movie that – and. And you guys are, it's just great. You guys are just the fucking best. And I feel like, um, I knew how funny you were. I didn't know how funny Regina was. And it's. She's magnificent. Insane. She is a fucking ruby that you've like found. And she was also just so kind to me. And, and, and it was yeah. like my first movie. And I'm really proud that I've been able to keep a friend. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she's so good. I want to ask you a question, though, about this. We talked about now so far the first movie thing. What was the biggest mistake you've made on your first movie? I'll tell you mine to put it in context. The first movie I ever did was this little scene movie that no one has seen. It was The Onion, you know, the, like the funny newspaper. They made a movie. It was like a, all like little sketches and stuff. And I did my scene in that movie. So here's the thing. If you're not in this world, you wouldn't know. And I did not know this either. You, when you wrap out, like when you're done, when you shoot your scene and you're done, not for the day, but for the completion of the movie, they'll kind of clap you out. They'll be like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on, you know, Chet. And everyone claps. So it was my first movie. And they were like, all right, that's a wrap on Paul. And everyone started clapping. And I was like, oh, my God. I did such a good job. Like, I really, like, was so incredible. Like, I, like... I took it with me. I was like, they applauded for me. I basically like 
I was so on a high and so emotional, like, wow, this is it. This is, there's no going back. And then when I realized that it was just commonplace, the level of embarrassment I felt for that was, was, uh, was just a, va- I mean, a bigger than the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Just like that. On Scary Movie, I was so terrified. I wasn't getting any feedback, and I thought I was going to get fired. And I remember doing a scene and asking my hair lady, because she's a person you're intimate with, you yeah. know, on yeah, at 5 in the morning. I was like, hey, do you, do you think that was okay? And she said, oh, it was great. You didn't touch your hair once. <laughs> and it was the same kind of realization of like, all right. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess everyone's <laughs> focused on themselves and not on me. <laughs> Just looking at that one thing. Oh, my God. That's a- <laughs> And my first talk show was the Craig Kilborn show. Okay. And there's no rule book. No. So they no were one like, tells you what to do. Get out there. And I was like, okay. And somebody's like, you know, whatever, micing me up. I do the show performance which is so odd as yourself, like yeah. to be this heightened version. You got to keep the ball in the air and you have a conversation that's already written. Like the first time I ever did one, I was like, oh, this is how it's done. I thought this was conversational. Like I did Letterman the first time, my first talk show, and they gave me like a 10-page document of the questions he was going to answer and what? my answers written out. Like they interviewed me on the phone. Then they compacted my answers to make them tighter and it was like, boom, 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 boom. And so, like, I'm backstage at Letterman memorizing me. I'm memorizing my stories. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was so frightening. But no one told me that until I got there. And I'm freaking out. I'm trying to put on a tie. I mean, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> I feel like this is stuff that no one talks about, and we're not saying, oh, I hate it. It's just also like there are these moments that you just – are eating shit and there's no mentor to be like, oh, when you do X, Y, and Z, you should do it like this. And when you figure it out, then you realize how long you've been doing it wrong. You just are like, here, I'll tell you this. Like for me, I'm a bald man. I kept too much hair on my head for too long until someone was like, why don't you just shave it down to this length? And I was like, oh, that's an option. Like why didn't, why for years did no one say that? Like, it's like those moments that you're like, why did I not do this? It, I feel so stupid. <laughs> like when I cut my hair down to where it is now, like now it's probably like eight years ago. I was like, but I spent so much. No one told yeah, me. Yeah. It's like, it's so, I try to tell people now. I was thinking about you and how I love people whose face sort of naturally falls into a smile. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you have that. Maybe it's been a burden for you, but man, it's welcoming. Oh, I'm so happy to. But I feel like you have that too. Come well, on. Well, you make me smile sometimes. You're a fun time person. Yeah, but you're you, but you, but you have a. Do you recognize that that your jaw just sort of naturally forms? Well, it's it's you're a like lot a joker. Of, it's a lot of plastic surgery. Yeah, it is a joker. I, <laughs> yeah, I have slight joker disease, which is sometimes a problem. And if you have bad joker disease, oh, forget it, forget it. It's just. 
it's tough. You, you know, you're really, yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> What's one thing that you would, like now you have a lot of responsibilities, right? What is one thing that you would like to be able to do that you feel like you can't do now just because of, take COVID out of the question, but like the idea of like, what, what, is there anything like, like you look back on like, oh, I wish I could have done this or that right now? Oh, Paul, that's a great question, but I, uh, I, I don't know why, like ice skating. Ice skating? <laughs> I don't know. That's, you but, can't but do that now? <laughs> but uh, that's not even legitimate. I was just thinking about like the things that my parents made me try that I failed at. Did your parents want you to become like, like a little ice skater, like that kind of, you know, popping around the rink? No, because my mom didn't want to really drive me. But I also had no passion towards I am severely lacking coordination. But, Paul, I feel like you should answer this question before I do. Oh, man. All right. You put me on the spot. I, well, I know what it is. I think I would like to really travel the world a little bit more. Like if money was no object and time was no object that would be something that I feel like I missed out on. Like when I was young and I really had no responsibilities, I was like, oh, I should have just like seen more of the world because every time I get a chance to go anywhere, whether it's like, you know, Africa or Tokyo or whatever, I think I'm like, this is so easy to get here. Why did I put so many barriers up to explore? And now I feel like with the kids and everything like that, I can do it, but I can't like do it the way that I probably want to. Like, I think there's one thing I would love to do, which is take the Orient Express. Like, I would love to do that. Truly, I've been watching train videos a lot. <laughs> it feels like the Sesame Street of adulthood during this oh, coronavirus. Yeah. But Paul, why do you think you didn't? I think probably because I'm sure I put up some sort of barrier. Like, I think, you know, for this world that we're both in, you're trying to achieve something and be around and be present. And I probably in my mind, and not that this is a conscious decision, it was like, well, I have a sketch show and I have my friends and I'll miss my improv class and I'll do my, like, I, I think I probably had a fear of missing out on being with all my comedy friends and, and going away and, and wanting to really like embrace my New York City, like comedy life and not get away from there. I think that's probably what it came down to. Is that rooted in nostalgia? I think there's a thing every now and then where you look back and you go like, oh, I wish I could have. I think that that's, and maybe it's not nostalgia, but it's like a little bit of like, if I knew then what I know now kind of stuff. And maybe that's not necessarily nostalgic. You know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, I wish I could be back there. And there's a simplicity of my life, like living in a studio apartment and having, staying up until four in the morning and being able to sleep until like 11 and all that sort of stuff. So you have kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But but truly, like, the idea of romanticizing, we would never have done that if, you know, we're living right. in New York and, like, a state, we would have found things to fucking bitch about. Or Of course. It's not perfect. Yeah. I'm not saying that I would like to change my life. I'm happy with where I am. And the decisions that got me to here are great decisions because I'm here, right? And I think the most anxiety I have is over choices that didn't happen. I'm like, oh my God, if that happened, imagine what a terrible domino effect that would have. Like, so sometimes I'll look back and have anxiety over situations that oh. just flip the other way. Can you give us an example? Do you feel comfortable? Yeah. I Okay. Here's a great one. When I was in New York and I was doing comedy, I had an opportunity to actually four times audition for Saturday Night Live. The first time I auditioned with Kevin Hart, which is crazy. Like we were in this, uh, the rooms next to each other. And I didn't get it. And I was incredibly crushed that I didn't get that. But 
like the following year, I created my own sketch comedy show with Aziz Ansari and Rob Hubel and Jason Wolner. And that like gave me more than being on SNL. Not that SNL isn't great or anything like that, but it gave me like, like where sometimes you could fail on SNL. Like who knows? Like it's a, it's a crapshoot. Like you either become like Kristen Wiig or you become this person who's like, oh, you were on SNL? Oh yeah, first season or whatever. So I had something that was like my own. But at that moment I was like, oh, why didn't I get SNL? Why didn't I do this thing? And I realized that if I would have gotten that, it would have set my whole career in a different path. Like the same way even with meeting June. Like I feel like if I would have made like one different decision, like I yeah. was dating somebody and I was starting to hang around with June and I had to break off one relationship, but I really liked that relationship. But I also like if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have had this. You know, there's those choices. Like they're very small. But they have, like, big ramifications. Completely. My partner, my fiancé, I just don't love that word, but um, his name is Michael. He says the same thing about the movie we met on. Right. You know, I, I hosted SNL two times. I think I did a shitty job both times. I have to watch those episodes now. No, no, no. Please don't. But... <laughs> But the idea of like, what am I? Would I be asked again? Even though I'm convinced that it right. took at least a decade off of my life with the stress that was involved, it yeah. was just like I'm not good at this. I have no idea what's going on. That is the high wire act of all high wire acts. I mean, right? Well, then what the fuck is the finish line? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turns out there isn't. No, it's like there is no finish line, and you never know when the next thing is going to come. And do you, so, are you saying that you block yourself from feeling like? True emotion and happiness, like oh, probably yes. But I, <laughs> I just, I, I like to think about J Lo. Okay, I'm like, yeah, J Lo. You know, she was there and then there and then there and then there and then there mm-hmm. and then there. And the idea of the drive combined with like talent and to what end? It is a little bit like. When do we grow raspberries at the farm? Right. I mean, you want. <laughs> is that the end game? Kind of. The Ferris isn't Farms. It? Ferris, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, we all want to move to. I think there's an idea of. But it's also such a post glory idea, which mm-hmm. is also ugly. That, like, oh, yes, well, now I have the strength to grow raspberries yeah. because I did some things. Right. It's as if. <laughs> We are doing this to buy the farm to grow raspberries, which is not the case. Like I'm not like, oh, if I just get one more TV show, I will finally be able to put that down payment on that raspberry farm. Like That's not my goal. My goal is not the raspberry farm. I don't know. What you were saying about SNL and, and taking that off your life a little bit there, Like I feel like I'm forever going like, oh, I wish I had another shot to do that. Or I, I have to kind of embrace the moment, the, the what you said, there's no finish line. So there's you have to no embrace those small line. victories every single step of the way. Exactly. So I, I feel like I didn't do well enough my second time around to be asked for a third time. A third time. And if I was asked for a third time, then I would be fucking terrified just in general. Right. And then what if I didn't get asked for a fourth time? Yeah, right. It's never going to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, what is the best or worst advice you've ever been given? Oh, God. I think the best advice that I've ever been given, and I don't know if I take it all the time, is eyes on your own paper. And this is like in every way, like as a parent, in relationships, in your job, in your life, like what kind of car you drive, what kind of, you know, everything. It's like, just worry about what you have in front of you and, you know, compete against yourself. Like don't compete against other people because again, it's just going to be unfulfilling because there's so many other variables in other people's work that you can't you know, you're not on an even keel with anybody. I think those are the things that we have to cling on to in our industry. Yeah. But don't you feel like that as a parent, though, too? It's like you look around and be like, oh, they did that for their kids. I'm not doing this for my kids. And it's like, okay, but I'm doing these other things for my kids. Like, it's sort of like we're constantly conditioned to look at other people and be like, oh, fuck, I should have done that. Oh, uh, oh, they have that computer. Or like, oh, they have that. Oh, like, Paul, oh, I think it's so generous that you say that to a fellow parent because – yeah, there's always that feeling of like, shit, we're not doing it, uh, whatever. Like, I yes. yelled at my kid today. I'm a fucking terrible person. I am frustrated with them. It's like we don't give ourselves enough of a break. And I feel like the one thing – I'll give you my piece of advice that I've been going after lately. I used to be concerned about creating perfect days and having a great vacation, and I think – now I'm about trying to just create perfect moments because at the end of the day, like if I can just have a perfect, a few perfect moments, it's going to be better than the stress of creating a perfect day and everything's got to go right and everything, everything like that. And isn't that what we remember? Like, yes, I'm 43. Like I remember specific moments, my dad taking me on a hike. Yes. Okay. What is a trait you dislike in others? I would say like a lack of exploration and adventure. Like for me, I am very much excited to try new things, to seek out something like to get a little bit out of my comfort zone. And I feel like I'm often a person who, you know, is trying to to do that, you know? And I, and I think that whenever I find somebody that like has a million questions about what we're doing, how we're doing it and where we're going and what's going to be there, I like... I like kind of just letting uh, the fates take you. Yeah, I'm not like not totally unprepared, but I just want have somebody who go out of their circle a little bit. So that that idea of like not wanting to do that is something I don't like in a person. I think that is a very generous way to frame the idea of closed mindedness, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, I think a it lack does of go to curiosity. That. Yeah, a lack of curiosity. I think. I feel like we're always growing. We should be growing. And just, it could be as simple as finding a, a new place to eat or just reading something that challenges you that you've never read and confronting your own. I think I've been doing that a lot recently. I mean, I think, you know, there's been a general 
racial awakening and everyone's on different levels there. And I feel like I've been trying to read more and discuss more and, and work in groups and do all this sort of stuff. And it's, and at points challenging these preconceived notions that I've had and I've done it with some people and I could tell like some people are more hesitant to, to fully dig in and, and other people are really there. And I feel like it's, I'm, I'm always trying to dig in a little bit more and I'm sure I have my hesitations too, but yeah, you know, in this like work that I've been doing in this space and I'm still like a neophyte in it. And I thought I was further along than I was until I realized I wasn't like the idea, like, I think, first of all, I think white people in general uh, have a hard time articulating thoughts about race. Like that is just like, I think it's a proven fact. Like when it comes to race-based things, they are less articulate. We are less articulate. And I also feel like, I don't know, to me, the only way we're going to get better is by having uncomfortable conversations that are coming from like a genuine curiosity and learning and wanting to be there. Cause it's like that. I think that's the only way you're going to get better at any, at anything. Cause it's like, I think it's a lifetime journey of just asking questions and, and learning and, and adapting and being aware and that, you know, so I feel like that's overwhelming too. Cause it's not an easy fix. It's not like, Oh, well, if I just do X, Y, and Z, then I'm great. Then I'm totally there. And it's like, I don't think anyone's there. I think it's like a lifetime work to just kind of be cognizant of so many people and things. Yes. The idea of like Atticus Finch, like teaching Scout, like, well, you haven't like learned until you've walked in somebody else's shoes. But that in and of itself now should be reframed. Mm. A white man telling his white daughter to be empathetic from a place of privilege. But there is something really interesting about that too, that Atticus Finch moment, because he's, I think what he's saying there to a certain extent, and by the way, it's like, is he saying you have to acknowledge race and you have to acknowledge, like, I think for, I think a lot of us have been brought up in this idea of like, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. And I think that is hopefully what people are realizing is not probably the best way to approach racial issues it's like no you have to see color you have to acknowledge that people are going through different things and have different feelings and their actions do affect like for me maybe the predominant way that my family brought me up was like there is no color we are everybody's equal but society doesn't treat everybody equally and you have and i think once you come to understand that that is at play then you can understand like oh how do i have to be a part of changing that. So in a way, that's at least a good parenting skill, I think. Paul, can I ask Again, you, though? Wrong. Let's say you, as Paul, are mm-hmm. a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. What made you feel vulnerable? Gosh, I think, honestly, how I looked, like zits or, you know, how I was dressing. I went to a private Catholic school, and we wore a uniform to go to school. And Where was that? In Long Island. Of course, I knew that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, please. Did all my research. <laughs> uh, no, but I went to this school, and one of the things about wearing a uniform every day is you don't really have a sense of self, or at least I didn't have a sense of self, because I wasn't getting dressed every day. I wasn't you know, deciding like what I wanted to be. I was kind of in the mold of, I'm wearing a white shirt and a tie and a blazer, and you start to 
in a way, you have to like struggle a little bit more to find your voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I feel like I wanted to make sure that I was dressing the right way. Much more outward stuff that I was running about. Like, I wanted to make sure like, I was embarrassed about having acne. I wanted to be, you know, when I went out that I was dressed cool enough for, you know, the right way. Those are, I guess, the biggest things. And, and in the grand scheme of life, that's not that big of a deal at all. It's like just high school insecurities. But, you know, there are bigger ones. I mean, there's so many other ones out there. Like I was lucky to have only have those issues, you know, I think. I mean, what about you? Oh, God. My identity was my height. I was really short. Okay. I didn't enter puberty till I was like mm-hmm. 16, essentially. So the idea of like being accepted was, yeah, was well, it's just normal high school stuff that feels in those formative years traumatizing and shitty. Oh, yeah. And there's a reason why those four fucking years sort of haunt you mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're like the, you know, the times maybe we, you know, we're doing it all wrong. No, but you're trying to, you're trying to figure out who you are. You're trying to fit in, but be unique. You're trying to, I mean, in many respects, hopefully go to a good school or you know, figure out what you want to do in a way, I mean, in a small way, like, you know, we're being forced to pick schools and, you know, wrap our minds around, you know, where we want to live our lives, even though it's, you know, for a couple months out of the year, there's a lot of things at play. I mean, there's so many things. And then for people, I mean, we're obviously on one tier and there's other people who like, maybe they can't even go to school. Maybe they don't want to go to school. Maybe they, they have to, you know, they're working their asses off. Like, I mean, I had a job, but I mean, I, it wasn't necessary for me to have a job, but I did have a job. But, you know, people who have to work even harder to come home and be a support part of the family. It's like, it's such a, uh, I mean, all that on top of just fucking being in high school. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, what is your favorite rainy day movie? I think a movie that brings me so much comfort that I love so much and it just is a special place in my heart and then it's not as cliche as my other answers would be is uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Steve Martin and John Candy movie, and it's it's great. It's just, I can watch it whenever. Would you say that pre-COVID in terms of... Oh, interesting. Do you know what I mean? Because I've been watching, like, travel things. You know, you would really like, or I think you would like, have you watched Travel Man yet? No. What is that? All right, so Travel Man, uh, you will love. It's Richard Ayoade. 
who is from the IT crowd, and he has been... Yes, yes, oh my gosh. yeah. He's been in a ton of different stuff. He's a brilliant director and writer. Yeah, yeah. He does a show called Travel Man, and it's incredibly funny. It's 48 hours in a different place, and it kind of takes the, the piss out of a travel show. It's just like he runs around and tries to do as many things as he can with a funny partner, and uh, but you get to see all these beautiful spots. Yeah. I think you would really like it. If you're looking forward to like... You want to scratch that itch of like travel? Yeah, yeah. Wait, you asked me, is that pre-COVID? I don't know. I, I think it is. I mean, of, yeah. I mean, co- no, the travel part of planes, trains, automobiles is not COVID specific. Like, I mean, you know, right now in my house, the shit that we're watching over and over again is not anything that I have a that I can weigh in on. Like, it is Home Alone one. It is Home Alone two. It's Angry Birds two, and a lot of TV shows that drive me absolutely bonkers. This one in particular, which I hate, called Car Patrol. It looks like it was made on like a computer from the 1970s. The cars don't even talk. It's just a narrator saying like, oh, why are you upset, brah, brah? And it's like, oh, you're upset because you didn't eat breakfast. Car Patrol is the worst. But yes, no, so planes are down. But I can't believe that that you're actually watching the programs. I'm the parent who, like, Jack is about to turn eight. Oh, my gosh. He is playing these games where I'm starting to suspect that everything is like, like if a parent hears just like happy kind of high-pitched music, Mm -hmm. it's fine if they're doing like shooter games. Because I'm not looking over. It's like it sounds like he's playing a children's game. I made the biggest mistake of my biggest, not my biggest parenting mistake. It's up there. So my son, who is six, really got into Bruce Lee, like talking about Bruce Lee, understanding Bruce Lee. That's pretty bad. And you have a brilliant it was awesome, child. right? And so we've been watching a lot. Of, like we watch a ton of reality competition shows. Like that's the big thing in our family right now. Like Titan Games, Don't, American Ninja Warrior, Whiplash, Cannonball, all this shit. And it's actually kind of fun. I mean, we're watching people get knocked down ninety percent of the time. But he got into Bruce Lee, and. I try to like show him stuff that I know is going to be okay. Like he can't watch the whole movie, but he can maybe watch a scene. And I was running to do something and I was putting on this one scene and enter the dragon for him. And I was like, this is, I've seen this scene. I know the scene is fine. And so I left the room and June was in there. And all of a sudden I just hear June go, it's rated R. (laughs) And it is. And I didn't realize that. And I ran up, I go, what happened? She's like, they just dragged a dead naked woman out of the water in that movie. I was like, what? And I felt like I didn't like I didn't communicate to her effectively, like fast forward to just the karate scenes because that's the only like we don't need them to watch the dialogue scenes. And so yeah, basically I had my child watch like a snippet of a violent rated R movie, and I just felt awful about that. Yeah. All right. To whom would you most like to apologize? Oh, wow. I know. That's a really I know, good it's a tough question. One. And you can pass if you'd like. No, I don't want to pass. I want to just like give it the due diligence of like really thinking about it. And I want to kind of take it out of like career stuff because I feel like that's like, it's not as, uh, as worthy. Hmm. You know, I'm getting like all these things in my head about you know, relationships that I've had, and I guess maybe because we're talking about high school, 
I wasn't a mean kid. That wasn't my thing. Like, I wasn't like a bully or anything like that. But I think, you know, there's always these moments where you feel like, oh, I could have done. I mean, I'm, I, I, it's so funny because right now you're asking me that question and I'm like, I live my life and going, oh, I wish I didn't say that. Oh, I wish I, I hope I didn't offend that person. I hope that is a, a core part of my makeup, right? But now I'm trying to think like, where did I do this on a major level? Where have I really fucked somebody over or, or, or have I really, um, you know, treated someone badly? Oh, man, it's, I'm I'm stumped. I'm really stumped. I'm sorry. Like I would give you. Don't worry. I would give you that answer. Yeah, truly, I know you would, but I, I know that there are a lot of people in my life that I would like to apologize to, but I, I can't even confront it a little bit. So I feel. Well, it, can I? Yeah. Can, you know what? How about this? Yeah. I'll say this. I, I've tried very hard to confront a lot of things, and I think one of the things I'm learning to do a lot more in my relationship, like with June, my wife, uh, is to apologize, right? I think there's sometimes a stigma about apologies, and we see it like in the media so much. When people do something wrong, they have a hard time you know, crafting an apology that is appropriate. And, and maybe it's it's the lens in which we want to look at things, but it's hard to admit your shit, right? Admit your shit and apologize for it because I think you're like making yourself guilty in some way. And I got an email from a girl that I had dated before June. And it was basically asking me to go get coffee like years later, like eight years later. And I mishandled that relationship really badly. Like, uh, not like dumb badly, not like traumatic badly. And we had this like coffee to talk a, around the relationship, about the relationship. And it was a really like kind of therapeutic thing because I was able to, I mean, I think we all don't want to feel like assholes. We all want to feel like pieces of shit, but like sometimes we are and it's just, and what does it cost you to apologize? If you mean it, like you do, like, you know, and it's like we had this moment I had this really nice moment with this person and I'm so glad that I did because I felt, I always felt really guilty for ending it the way it was. I was incredibly mixed signals. I was a mess and I think I led this person on and so it was the most uncomfortable coffee ever. It wasn't like, oh, that, that was great, but like the after effects of it were really great. And I think like, you know, going through therapy and stuff like that, I'm talking to even my mom and my dad at points and, and they'll only go for as far as they can go. But there's, it's never too late to kind of have a conversation where you kind of unearth stuff. It's like, I think there's a fear of like, well, if I bring that up, will that make everybody upset? But I think sometimes it's worthy just to kind of check in and, and apologize and be there. I don't know. That's a great answer, Paul. It's a tough question, right? It's no, unfair because you are, unfair you're more question. you're more honest than most of our guests. So it, that always felt like a go-to question a little bit. No, I, I like what you're saying. It's like well, what I didn't take into account is that how honest and thoughtful you are. It's not an unfair question. I no, I wish like I really would have to think like here's what I will say. I'm trying to get to a place where I can be less defensive when I do upset people, right? When I when I do make a mistake. And I think just going back to 
the world that we're in right now, besides the COVID, we're going through like a racial awakening. I think we've gone through uh, an embracing of how misogynistic this world is and how people can be treated badly. I think for me, like a really eye-opening thing, and I think when I look back at myself, like when I look at myself two or three years ago, the lack of knowledge I had about trans culture is like shocking to me. Like I'm just like, oh my God. Like, And I definitely use terms that were not the correct terms and, and never in like, a, like not, a, I was never like, I was on stage, you should hear this bit that I have. But I was like, it was just more like, I'm blown away by the stuff that I didn't know. And so I'm very much open to, I guess, trying to fix those things in myself and looking at myself and going, I don't want to be that same person. And this one quote that I love from the Beastie Boys documentary that has been, you asked me before about advice, like what's a great piece of advice? And this is a saying that has been in my head so much in the last couple of months, which is they're doing this, this documentary with the Beastie Boys and they had this song called like Girls and it's a super misogynistic song. And they kind of talked about how that song went from being like a parody song to actually an anthem for people and and they feel really guilty about it, it was an anthem for people. And, and now they've done so much work in all these amazing spaces to kind of show that they've grown. And the quote was, you know, well, how could you say that when you're the person who sang Girls, you know, 20 years ago? And he said like, he goes, I'd rather be a hypocrite than the same person I was 20 years ago. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of like a thing that I've been thinking about a lot. It's like, I, I just, I'm not going to beat myself up, but I'm also going to like acknowledge that I, yeah, I did make these mistakes and I'm going to try to go forward. Yeah. But Paul, part of the thing is too, like, I love that song. I love the mm-hmm. Beastie Boys. And, sure, me too. And to me, it felt like, oh, this is clarification on how we're perceived. So mm-hmm. how the fuck do I like, all right, I like yeah. it. Like, how, how do I own the idea of my perception? If that was cloaked from me, right. um, that would be uh, even more frustrating. I don't mean to get so animated right now, but. No, I love it. I see, yeah. But I, and I don't know if if I'm correct, but that's how. I think that's, that's how it was written. Like, to me, yeah. it made me feel like. Fuck yes. Like, I want to know how people are perceiving, like, whatever, a 13-year-old girl struggling with those moments of, like, getting looked at when a car passes you, when having no idea of being a sexual thing at all. It was informative. I think it was written in a way to be, like, sarcastic. And then what they talk talk about is, like, but then it quickly became – it, this doc is great. You got to watch the doc. It's on Apple TV, the the service that I don't think anyone knows that they have or watch, but it's there and it's great. And they talk about like, they just talk about how it was written like that, but then it became an anthem for a certain type of person. And they started doing shows where they felt like they were not singing to the people who were like, oh, I get what you're doing here. They were like, you're right. Girls to do the dishes, girls to do like it was like, and and that's and that's kind oh, of what it they, felt they, to me like an anthem of anger, and I felt like they meant it. Yeah, I felt ownership in my like yeah. hometown of Edmonds, Washington. Right, and understanding the, the mockery at like fourteen years old, or like the irony. Or I mean, look, I I think I listened to that song and it wasn't like, yeah, that's right. I think it was just like, oh, it's catchy. It's fun. It's like, yeah. I mean, that whole first album is like a party album. And, but I guess like the idea is like constantly trying to 
be better and then also have to take your lumps for where you weren't good in the past. And I think there's like a, a difference between people who will take their lumps. And look, I haven't gone through it like other people have gone through it. So maybe my opinion of it would be vastly different. But it's like, I just think that there's an ability that we all have to have where it's like, yeah, let's just take our lumps. Like, all right, sure, that offended you. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't mean to do this, but it did. And I can acknowledge that. And I can also move on and and be different. I don't have to be that same person. I don't have to keep on making those mistakes. It's a constant battle. I mean, of dealing with being defensive. I'm always, you know, it's like, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't like, you know, my fight's... With but my that's wife what makes you like a yeah. wonderful person is that you are considerate of how you're being perceived and you're sensitive to the idea that, you know, is my perception incorrect? You're incredibly generous like that. That's how I would subscribe the idea of generosity towards you for sure. Um, well, wait, but hey, Paul, before yes. we leave, mm-hmm. in one word, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, wow. One word. One word is hard. But I would say I would like to be remembered as loved. That might be the best answer we've had. (laughs) (laughs) We did this. We did it. We did it all today. We really got into it. Oh, and Paul, one last thing, though. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite joke? Oh, this is where I'm terrible. I, I no, mean, like, like I mean, here I'll give you, I'll give you my favorite dumb joke. Like when people ask me now, I kind of memorized a dumb joke. Pirate walks into a bar and he has, you know, um, one of the like a, a ship's steering wheel. Like what do you call that? Like a oh fuck, uh, why am I forgetting? Like, like a yeah, like yeah, the thing, the, yeah. the clocky thing that goes yeah. around and is wooden. Yeah, this is by the way, this is the perfect uh, execution of this joke. So <laughs> a pirate walks into a bar. He has like one of those ship's steering wheels uh, around his dick and and. Uh, the bartender's like, oh, you got a, what's up with the uh, the pirate steering wheel on your uh, on your dick? And he goes, ah, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> there you go. Classic. <laughs> a joke poorly told. Paul, thank you. This is a pleasure. You're the best. I uh, love chatting with you. Will you please give June uh, my love? I will. All right, bye-bye. Bye, Paul. Hey, dear listeners, I wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you for being a part of Unqualified. I can't believe we've been doing this for five years. It really goes by in a blink. In the beginning of August, you're going to start seeing a few changes here. In addition to our great guests, we will be bringing on some qualified professionals to help answer your questions and balance out my unqualified advice. We've also been working on new ways to grow and support the unqualified community, including a new website. I am really excited. So keep your eyes on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. And in the next few weeks, you're going to see an all new unqualified. Also, if you're a fan of the show and you think you know someone else who might enjoy it, now is the perfect time to tell them about unqualified. It would really mean a lot to me. Thank you so much for listening. I truly do love you all. You have been a very special part of my life and I look forward to continuing this grand experiment. Um, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.